Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Aquel Jackson, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Athletes Unplugged. Today's guest is a guy I've wanted to join this show for a very long time now. His name is Mikey Taylor. He was a pro skateboarder for over two decades. He went on to become a serial entrepreneur. He has his VC firm called um, Commune Capital. And he also, while he was a skateboarder, I think while he was a skateboarder, but he was able to along with some friends, create this beer company, St. Archer, which we'll talk more about it. But before we, hey, Mike, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for, Thank for you. spending the time and just to talk with me. And, and I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you, big dog. I'm stoked to be here, too. Hey, so so uh, we, we spoke briefly before we started shooting here, but um, I have to tell you before we get started, uh, when I grew up, I grew up in Florida and one of my best friends in elementary school was a sponsored BMX rider. So he kind of, you know, it was I was into the BMX riding and it kind of segued into skateboarding. Now, I'm not going to say I was a skateboarder, but I have one by my side here and I always kind of dabbled with it uh, growing up. So my biggest question to you is, OK, a guy from Southern California, before we get into the nuts and bolts of yeah. what you're doing now. Yeah, I want to start where how does a guy that picks up a skateboard as a teenager, right, become this like pro skater? I know it's a big gap, but like, yeah. is there was there like a pocket of skaters where you grew up was like, oh, man, these guys are really good. You guys got to check these guys out. Like, how does one. How does a hobby become a thing where you think that you could potentially do this for a living? It's a good question. So there was something that happened that made this possible for me. And uh, my parents just decided to move to this random city. And so I started skateboarding in a town uh, called Agora. They moved to this okay. city, at, uh, Thousand Oaks, Newbury Park. And for whatever reason, in this little community that was small, there were phenomenal skateboarders. I don't know why it makes no sense, but <laughs> I, I met these kids and for the first time, I saw people doing what I saw in the videos and the movies in real life. And I was blown away by it. And so when I saw that, a couple of things happened. One, I realized that it was possible to do what the pros were doing. And two, I was surrounded by people that were so good and just that competitive spirit of just friends. I wanted to be right. as good as them. And then what ended up happening is out of my friends that were maybe like 10 guys, seven of us went pro. That doesn't happen. I mean, you know this, right? It's like you grow up with friends what? and maybe one of them goes pro, you know? So there, I mean, dude, there was something in the water out there. It was crazy. Wait, right? okay. So all these guys go pro. Right, right. It, I, that is that is unreal. Because in the community where I grew up, there was only one other guy from my community to make the yeah. pro level. And you're talking about seven guys that you skated with growing up. I, I mean, that, that's unreal. I mean, well, my friends from high school, like our boys, we started traveling the world together. Like it, it was like the special homie thing turned into a career for all of us. And we're in Germany. We're in France. We're like, it, it was crazy. And it wasn't entourage. Wow. Every single one of wow. us were paid, became pro, you know? All right. So, so, okay. So I guess my, so growing up and these guys go pro, like, so I read someplace at the age of 18 or so, you got your first sponsor and you were actually thinking about going to law school and you met a guy, I think his name was Josh Laden, Laden. And you guys were, he, had, he, he, he had, I guess, filmed this movie, Union, 
Express. That was okay. one of your favorite surfing movies. And you guys decided to recreate that from a skateboarding perspective. And so I guess my question is, in the mix of all of this, like how how does that happen, man? Like how how does one <laughs> one lead to, you know, then you you segue that into beer and a conversation and how does that kind of unfold, man? Because I look at skateboarding and correct me if I'm wrong, back when I feel like you were the first, one of the first iterations of skateboard and now into skateboarding. I mean, guys like now Houston and Hog, these guys have cracked the code, right? But when you were coming through the pipeline, there was a different roadmap for you guys, right? Yeah. So uh <laughs> I'll start from the beginning. There's so much. There's so much in the back there. Skateboarding, skateboarding, when I started, was so small. It was so like fringe and niche that being a pro skateboarder wasn't really a thing. You couldn't make a lot of money. Uh, so I never thought that was really an option for me. I always thought I was going to go to law school. I figured I'd be a lawyer because I loved arguing with people. It, it made no sense, right. but whatever. That's what I thought. And yeah. I got the opportunity to start traveling with my friends. This is right out of high school, right? And at that time, what happened was the Tony Hawk video came, started going nuts. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to dress and look like skaters, even if they didn't skate. And so our industry just exploded. So my generation was able to ride this wave of our industry growing. And then we started making more money. And then, you know, 10 years later, you have the, you know, Nyjah Houston's and the Zion's and, and these guys who came up in just a different world of skateboarding were now run the Olympics. So, uh, it, you know, it, when I was young, it wasn't planned out, man. It, it was, I was obsessed by this thing and I didn't want to let it go, you know? Yes. So, so I know I'm just trying to draw some parallels between my introduction into from college to the pro level. Like I had to go out and get an agent. I had to go out and get someone to represent me. Was it similar when you were coming up? Like, Hey, I have these these people that want to sponsor me, is there a middleman or a buffer to kind of say, hey, okay, this is a good deal. This isn't a good deal. Did you have an agent or what did that landscape look like? Yeah. So with skateboarding, it's all DIY. You do it all yourself. And wow. so what, what I did was there were skateboard magazines, right? And every once in a while, when a company would be running an ad, they'd leave an address in the corner. And so I went through the magazine and anyone who had an address, I took that address and I made a, a little sponsor me tape. Right. This is a long time ago. So it's VHS. And I sent out 40 tapes of me skateboarding to every company that had an address and just mm -hmm. put attention team manager. And then I ended up getting calls like a couple calls back. And then it became my job to negotiate with them on <laughs> what I was hoping for. And so I went my whole kind of entry wow. into skateboarding, just, you know, rolling the dice, ended up like finding a way in, negotiated my whole my whole all of my deals moving forward. You know, so for us, it's like we don't have yeah. coaches. We don't have agents. It's a very much like watch how it's done and then figure out how to do it like them. And then, you know, ultimately try to improve on it. Wow. So I would imagine you would probably have to have a really good support team around you. You know, how did what what part did your parents play in all of this? Because I would imagine that wasn't, you know, do you have any siblings or was it like, hey, mom and dad, I want to become a professional skateboarder. Okay. You got full autonomy. We're going to support you. I would imagine they were a big part of this because, as you said, you're an independent contractor. And yeah. again, I'm trying to draw parallels between, you know, what I did for a living. We're independent contractors, but we're within 
a team and an organization. So there's a yeah. there's an organizational standpoint that's there. Yeah. So I would imagine right. we're so there's a name that stands out to me, and I'm jumping around a bit, but um, you have an amazing career skateboarding, and you meet a guy which was probably one of the my favorite shows to watch, Rob Dyrdek, Robin Big, and yeah. I read someplace that you were one of the original Street League members. Is that right? I was, yeah. My story with Rob goes way, way back, actually. I met Rob when I was 16, when I was a kid, way before I was a pro skateboarder. Is, is he that high energy, high, just, he seems to be, to me, he's a brilliant guy. Uh, he, he, just watching, yeah, just from his show, like, he would come up with an idea and he would go for it. Yeah. And it was it was so inspiring as a young person to watch it and to watch how he just he he was fearless man absolutely fearless and he's been a, a a huge you know with dc shoes and all the different business ventures he's been a part of i mean the guy's killing it he's crushing it always working um yeah i guess my question to you is throughout your career and i think a lot of people again i'm trying to draw parallels between the two of our you know past sports from a business standpoint right when did you realize Hey, this is what I love to do. I'm passionate about skating. When did you realize, like, okay, th this is something that I need to start preparing myself for life afterward? Was it the guy, uh, a name that comes to mind is a guy named Randy, who you've talked about in some yeah. of your, uh, yeah. some of your your platforms. You spoke about you had a guy that really kind of, you know, sell you on the fact that okay, this finance thing, you're not making a ton. Well, at the beginning, but you know, how do we monetize this? How do we how do we save? How do we prepare for life after the skateboard? Yeah. That's right. So a, a few things. One, for you, I imagine when when your parents found out that you were going to play pro ball, they were probably really stoked, right? That was a, that was a celebration moment, right? Yes, because there was an end game. The NFL was like an end game, right? Right. Yeah. It was something to look yeah. forward to. <laughs> yeah. For for me, when I told my parents I was going to be, be a pro skateboarder, full panic, full-blown panic. They were like, <laughs> absolutely not. You were going to college. This is just a hobby. And, and right. look, I wasn't willing to give up on it. And I have this gift of just like being relentless and persuasive. Right. So right, I'm just right. on them. Like, no, I want to do this. I want to do this. Finally, the, they agree, but there was kind of one stipulation. And that was that I had to connect with their friend who was managing my parents' money. And my parents, like my dad's a photographer. Uh, my dad was, uh, didn't make you know crazy money, but we did well enough right. to not have to worry about like putting food on the table. Right. Uh, right, right. So I meet this guy at 19. This is Randy. And he was the one that just started teaching me about money, started teaching me about the easy stuff, right? Like how to create a budget, how to create a plan, how to invest. And uh, I think it was a combination between him and then Rob was actually like incredibly influential in my career. And that was because I met him prior to all of this. I met him when I, when I was 16. And, and I was always attracted to the skaters who were doing other things, right? It was like right. Jamie Thomas, huge influence of mine. Rob Deardick, huge influence of mine. Anyone who's a skater that owned a business, I was just attracted to those type of people. And Rob, when I was 18, 19, uh. figure out I'm going to be pro. I'm sitting in a van with him in Reno. And, you know, we're talking about skaters doing tricks and blah, blah, blah. And he looks at me and he goes, Mikey, 
I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with something right now. And if you actually run with this, you're going to have a great career. If you don't listen to me though, mm. you're going to be like everyone else. And I'm like, wow. okay, what is it? And he goes, <laughs> right, right. he goes, all right, look, every pro skateboarder is just looking at what they can do right now. It's all about right. the moment, right. Right? right? I want you, when you're going to make decisions, when you're thinking about doing tricks, I want you to think 10 years out. How do I put myself in a position to be here 10 years? Right. Right. And right, that right. was huge for me. So two things happened just from that one. You, know, you didn't have to listen. Most, no. most guys, it goes over most guys' heads. I've been no, in that same I, boat. I took it truth, man. I was like, right. okay. And, and this is kind of what happened. One, I started looking at ways to keep myself here a long time. The second thing is I knew this thing was going to end. And so what Rob was telling me about how to basically right. maneuver through the skate industry what Randy was telling me on how to prepare myself financially so that I'm in a position when it ends to be okay. It was the perfect combination of two people coming together that really made an impact on my life. And then now with Rob, it's like, I'm just chasing this dude, man. It's like, I'm just trying <laughs> right. to get to where he's at and he just making these right. freaking leaps and, you know. <laughs> right. That guy seems Rob like a is, human generator. Rob's, Rob, Rob's a, a good one, man. He, he, what you see is what you get. Uh, it, it, you if you haven't met him the day you do you're gonna enjoy it. Oh, I would I would love I would love to meet that guy. I would yeah. I would absolutely love to meet him just yeah. just to pick his brain, just to be a fly on the wall, just hear his pitches. I've I've heard his pitches. You've just, heard of, you've heard about his pitches before, right? Because they're one of the. I've heard yeah, I've heard yeah. about it. It's just so inspiring, and it's, there's no coincidence he had a show that inspired a generation of people like myself sitting on the couch who's a professional football player. Hey, I'm going to go pick my skateboard up and go outside and see if I can ollie on the curb. When I have my next door neighbor looking at me, he's a teammate of mine thinking I'm crazy as hell for doing this. Yeah, you know, right. so no, I get so so did that prompt because I, I know you made some investments uh, mm -hmm. while you were still skating and one being the storage unit. Right. And that that falls under the, that category of community capital. Right. Like you you started investing in storage units, which ultimately, you know, uh, grew into multifamily homes and different investments. And now your IG account at Mikey Taylor, you take us through a tutorial of just very just just information that most people, like I said earlier, yeah. it would go over most people's head. But you're able to to articulate it and dumb it down so the casual person can understand finance at the at the mm. smallest degree. Yeah. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's because I'm a skater and I had to understand it in a way that like <laughs> made sense, which means dumb this thing down. But uh, yeah, look, when I started investing, it was uh, in the beginning, not that sexy. Mm -hmm. It you know, uh, my first plan was I needed cash reserves. I needed to have enough money in case something happened. Right. That's not sexy. Once I got to that point, I started investing in like you know, retirement accounts. I started investing in stocks and bonds, all the basic stuff, mainly because I wasn't able to invest in real estate yet. I just didn't have enough. And then once I got to the right. point of, you know, having a, a big enough investment to make, I started investing in storage units. Uh, I started participating uh, on the debt side of real estate. So acting as the bank and financing other people's real estate. Uh, right. and, and the thing I liked about real estate as a skater was it, it, it provided what I was really looking for, right? I was young mm -hmm. and, and because I was young, I wanted to grow my wealth, right? But also I was relying on, on all of my income coming from my sponsors. And my perspective of that was my sponsors own me. 
they own all the control to my future. And I didn't like that. And so when I started investing in real estate, it was like, okay, the real estate can appreciate, which grows my wealth. And it pays me cash flow, which takes control away from the sponsor. Right. And it was just this, like, I had one of those aha moments. It was like, oh my gosh, if I get more of that, it doesn't matter if my sponsors leave me. They could right. leave me in the dust and I could rely on the income from this. And, you know, it, it was freeing once I realized it. And then all my energy went towards how do I get more of it? Right, right. It, it seemed like the, you had a you had a very good, um, you know, mentor and Rob and some other guys that that uh, I've, I've read about that had a huge influence on your skating career and some of the decisions you've made uh, off the board. Yeah, I guess I guess my next question kind of falls into, you know, what in that skating community. Right. Um, and I, I go back to my locker room when I was yeah. in the locker room. There's a lot. There's a out of 50 some my guys in the locker room. There may be about 10 guys who are in the huddle talking about business, talking yeah. about different ventures that they're into. And it's almost like you're you're the outcast. Was yeah. it similar in the in the in the pro skating career where guys could only you mentioned it earlier. Guys could only see what was in front of. Them. Yeah. And I feel like you were you were like a diamond in the rough, man. And and, you know, you love what you do. But also, you got to understand at a certain point, you get, you won't be able to do this all your life. You're doing yeah. something that's highly risk, you know, risky, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I guess my question is, was, was there a huge community of guys who had a push back on some of the things that you were involved in? If I'm a sponsor, you know, I want you to eat, sleep and shit skateboarding. Yeah. And I don't want you to do anything else. Did you ever feel that from your sponsors? Uh, some pushback like, wait a minute, you're doing too much. I don't know if you're all in or not. Yeah, so the, the the pushback didn't come till later, and that was more of a function of this this type of stuff, entrepreneurship, investing, finance. You don't talk about that in skateboarding, like zero, uh, like it, it, off it. limits, right? So I had one got close it. friend of mine, Paul Rodriguez, and it was him and I would always talk about this stuff behind the scenes. But like when I was in the industry with friends, dude, it was nothing, right? When I started getting pushback is when we started seeing Archer. The, the craft brewery mm. and you know the big kicker was i had sponsors that were like why are you why do you keep wearing saint archer like you need to wear our stuff oh right? i see so I that see. that was where i started getting some pushback but Got when it. my career ended then i went all in on basically you know what why am i so concerned about what my community thinks about finance like if i'm right. you know embarrassed to talk about it that means none of us get better that means, the, the, you know, the door is always going to be closed for us to prepare financially. And right. I was like, Shit, man, I'm just going to jump out. Screw it. I have no sponsors I need to rely on. Now it's just my ego. And let's freaking put this thing in check and try to do some good. Um, and, man, I'll tell right, you, when I right. started talking about money, that's when the punches started coming. It, it was – I thought it was going to be rough. I didn't realize it was going to be like right. that. I, I became like villain number one for wow. easily three years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my! It was this towards the later part of your career. You're saying, right? Was this is my was this right after? So, so you started Saint Archard after you um, had surgery and you didn't have any more sponsors. Is no, that no? We no, we started Saint Archard still skating. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's so we right. started Saint Archard. Uh, we came up with the idea of 2011. We opened doors in 2012. We sold it at the end of 2015, and then my career ended in 16. So end of Saint Archard was really close to the end of my career. So and I wasn't, were, about, I wasn't talking about money at all, right? Like one thing that I remember happened was uh, with St. Archer when we sold it, it was so public 
that I remember being terrified that I couldn't maintain mm -hmm. this, this separation anymore. Like, holy shit, mm -hmm. everyone's going to know now. And I remember I uh, went to skate a demo right, uh, right. in uh, Texas. It was Make-A-Wish Foundation, right? And we had sold the company three months prior. Mm -hmm. I walk in, the announcer, right? As I go in, goes, Mikey Taylor <laughs> in the building. Newest millionaire sold St. Archer for – and I was just like, awesome. oh, my gosh. It was like the lights went out on me. I was so freaked out by it. Um, yeah, it's just that's, like, dude. That's, that's, that's so odd. That's so odd. The minute you step into the National Football League, everyone through Google, if you have a phone or a computer, you can find out exactly what everyone's making. So yeah. that whole that whole idea of telling, you know, family members and friends, no, I don't have it. No, nah, that's out of the water. You got to come up with a different a different strategy to say no. Right. That's so right. I, I get that. I, I get that part. I, I, I really right. do. That's uh, right. So let's talk so, about uh, the sponsors. You, you, you talk yeah. a lot about the sponsor. Yeah, you talked uh, a little bit about the sponsor. Was that, man, it's just so much. Was it difficult to, you know, once you got sponsors, was there a roadmap of, like early on when you started pro skating? Was there a roadmap of, okay, you need to go to this event? Were they kind of dictating like which events you would go to? Because if I'm not mistaken, you were more of a street skater than a contest yeah. skater, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, we had requirements. It, it was, you know, we had a certain amount of demos and tours that we had to go on. We'd have a certain amount of ads and, and, you know, so, uh, so you're doing ads from, so in a, in a, in a, a calendar year, you know, mm -hmm. if you're not, if you're not practicing, you know, how often would you be at an event or, you know, like, what does that look like? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I was probably, I was probably gone five months of the year. Um, in probably like two, two week increments. Um, and you know, a lot of times it was filming, right? Like our whole career was built around these video parts and a video part would come out every two or three years. And it was only like a three minute video, but with skateboarding, if you were going to film a trick, you had to film a trick that had never been done on the spot you're skating. So after a while, it got so oh. hard to figure out a new trick to do. So a lot of times it would right. take us two to three years to film three minutes, right? That's insane. Wow. But that's what it would take. Wow. So a lot of the trips we went on were film trips. So we would go to Spain for two weeks to film. We'd go to you know Germany for two weeks to film. We'd go to China. So that was a, a big part of the, the trips we were on. Wow. Damn, I didn't yeah. know that, man. That that that's yeah. a huge commitment. That's a huge yeah. commitment for something that. And when you started skating, you don't really know. No one knows you're going to be the next Tony Hawk or this next breakthrough athlete. You're doing it merely out of passion, and that's one yeah. thing that I realized when I when I started following you on Instagram. The passion that you speak with, when in terms of finance, in terms of business, a lot of athletes, professional athletes, I feel like you cracked the code in a sense of. And I remember when I when I retired. I told yeah. my wife specifically, I want to do something I'm passionate about doing because yeah. I'm a process guy. I'm yeah. a process guy. And if I enjoy it and I'm passionate about it, then that all those intangibles that I learned from uh, that allowed me to have a successful career, I want to apply that to my next thing. You yeah. when you decided to when you didn't have any sponsors and you decided, you know what, I'm going commune capital, I'm going entrepreneurship, I'm doing this full time. Yeah. What was that transition like for you, even though you yeah. had some things kind of set up for you? But I would yeah. imagine it was still difficult to step away from something that you had done for most of your life. Yeah. Uh, 
I'll start with this. I'm very similar to you. Uh, if I am into something, I am a freaking savage. I, I will outperform yes. until I do. If I'm not into it, I am terrible. It's like I'm two different people. So I have to yes. be all in on something. Um, for me, when my career ended, it, it was like I knew it was going to be hard, right? I definitely knew it was going to be hard. I was not prepared for how hard it was, though. You know, I, I had this idea that if I cracked the code financially and I didn't have to rely on income, then oh, it was man. easier. That I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off, but that's where I really from a mental standpoint, because at a certain point in my career, um, through a mentor of mine, we had a car, you know, he was asking me, I signed my my uh, my second contract for the Cleveland Browns. It was around 2012. And I was at a wedding, which now my wife, her best friend was getting married and her father, we were playing a round of golf. And yeah. he, he was asking me all these financial questions that I couldn't answer. I was like, I felt comfortable enough to with him. It's like, you know what? I don't know. I have no idea. Not knowing what he had done for business, not knowing. All I knew is he could afford a hell of a wedding in Turks and Caicos. And yeah. when we got back to DC, he was like, hey, I, I you seem like a sharp guy. You just don't know what you don't know. So I have some people I want you to meet. It was his financial managers. Had a meeting with them. And my knowledge of finance and how money works just completely took me to another level. So get back to the point we're talking about. So when I when I decided to retire, in my mind, because I was financially set, yeah. I wasn't going to have a, my transition would be a little smoother. And it wasn't. Because you remove something that you're so passionate about and all the qualities that we just spoke about. Yeah. I want to apply that someplace else. And I, I was completely just stuck mentally. I was in, yeah. a, I was in a, a fog and it was it was tough. Yeah. Uh, uh, 1000%. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, too. This, this is kind of where I've landed on it. If I were to pick, mm -hmm. you know, am I going through my transition financially free or am I going through my transition right. not? I'm going to pick financially free, right. but no this, is, this is kind of, you know, what I, what I realized if you're in survivor mode, right? Income's gone and you got to figure out Ooh. how to keep food on the table. You don't have time to necessarily go through the mental struggle you're going through. It's just right. go get this mission done. Right? right. What being financially free allowed me to do was realize all of these insecurities and challenges within myself that I didn't even realize were there. Right. Like yeah, yeah. I, I viewed myself as a pro skateboarder. First and foremost, I am built and put on this planet to be a skater. Right. That was my identity mm -hmm. and my purpose. Right. And when that went away, I lost right. all the ability to, to figure out if I knew what I was supposed to do in a good manner or not. Right. It was just like, I, I no longer knew the mm -hmm. game I was playing. And what I'm thankful for right. is I had that year of feeling like shit not knowing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I was able to basically be brought to my knees in a blessed position and go, I need to figure this out. Right. I need help. I right. need to do this. Right. right. Um, that right. wasn't easy. It wasn't at all. Uh, but what it did was then became one of the biggest blessings that ever happened. Right. Like skateboarding mm -hmm. career ends. I view it as the most painful part of my life. Right. Fast forward to now, I'm so thankful it happened because now I'm doing something in you know life 2.0 that I'm equally right. as passionate about. I'm being more filled by it. I feel like I'm able to make a bigger impact, and this wouldn't have happened if it weren't for that.
you know? Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget one of my mentors that I looked up to playing the game of football. He told me, you have to mourn. You have to you have to let it you have to go through that moment. You know, no one else would be able to understand it other than people who who was in it. You know, you could talk to your wife. So I had to go out and seek professional help. I had to go out and because that first year was was rough. I couldn't watch football. I couldn't do it. Not that I, I, when I would watch it, I thought I could still play. It was just, I had to wrap my head around and convince yeah. myself I was done. Let's start moving forward. I didn't want to, yes. I didn't want to teet around in that gray area. So I had to yeah. get professional help and, and saw a therapist and what have you. And luckily for me, I had a really good support team here in DC. A lot of my mm. friends here don't have an athletic bone in their body. They're yeah. either government contractors or attorneys or what have you. So uh, that transition was a lot smoother for me even though from the outside looking in you would have thought i was still the crazy energetic person or what have you but internally i was going through a mental anguish and uh, so let's talk about some of the some of the projects you've been involved with you you have a skateboarding company uh sovereign is that correct sovereign uh you've had you've had you've been you know you've had dc shoes you've had a number of shoes you've you've been involved in so you were the the easiest person to research and doing this because you have so much going on like, what are some of your latest projects that you could talk about right now that you're you're really like, uh, are you that you're really interested in? So, as far as my full time, like what mm-hmm. I'm driving, uh, Commune Capital is the only one, um, it, it, and that's more a function of it's harder than anything I've ever done. The ceiling is higher than anything I've ever done, and you know, the opportunity, my perspective of helping people understand finance, this is a massive problem. So it's taking, uh, it's 95. (laughs) Um, But I am involved in some other things now, just as like a passive investor. You know, when when I have friends that are doing cool stuff, I'm able to help them build out that vision through an investment and, you know, get to help build it from a marketing standpoint. Um, Up until now, go ahead. How, how difficult was it to, I'm, I would imagine you have a team of people, right? That works underneath, under the umbrella of commune capital. How difficult was that? Cause I feel like that's been my huge, my biggest issue of wanting to create a, a fund or a firm and trusting people that mm-hmm. I can, that are as equally committed, if not more committed as I am. You know, mm-hmm. that to me is the huge, the biggest hurdle that I have yeah. to get over for my own. Right? How did you, how did you deal with that and approach it and, and get through it? Yeah, it's such a good question, man. Such a good question. Um, I was forced to figure it out from the behavioral side because when I first wanted to start a company, I still had a pro career. And I either had to full-blown step away from my pro career to build a company, or I had to figure out how to put people in place so that I could do both. And it it was ultimately learning how to delegate but you're talking about something even more difficult than just the idea of delegation, right? Right, right. If you don't learn right. how to delegate, you'll never be able to build anything. That That's just <laughs> right, that's, right, right? Yeah. But it takes yeah. a huge amount of trust. That's the thing that people don't tell you is very difficult. Mm-hmm. It also mm-hmm. takes a component of like, you know, humbling yourself in some regard and right. letting go of control and giving that to somebody else, right? Right, uh, right. Where it really kind of took a change for me is when I realized what I was good at and what I am bad at. And the things <laughs> right. I'm bad at, I cannot build a business if it's all relying on me, right? Like I yes. am not, uh, yes. I'm not an operations person. 
I'm not like keep everything focused and moving forward. Check, check, check. Not me. Right. That's very, very times <laughs> of business. So I think knowing that has always forced me to find those type of people. Uh, as far as finding ones right. you trust. Yeah, man, that's a little bit of a, that's a bigger challenge. It, you know, I think for me where I'm at now, I start with the person. I start with the character. I start with their morals. Right. Like the skill set and what they're going out to to help with. That has to be there. But what's right. inside what, what they're built upon that doesn't. Right. And so right. I, I kind of spend a lot of time just understanding their them as a person, why they make decisions. If they have a family, what yeah. their family life looks like. If they're a father or mother, what does that look like? Uh, right. How do they right. act under stress? Uh, right. And, right. And you you basically want to know like the intrinsic, you know, motivation of a person. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny. I did an internship maybe a few years ago. A guy by at uh, DraftKings. It's called Drive by DraftKings. It was in Boston. Yeah. And we had a chance to sit with, you know, uh, top execs from Bain Capital. And mm. uh, it was interesting. I, I was able to walk away from that and get a lot of questions answered in terms of how someone at the professional level can add value to a company. And you hit it on the, you hit it on the head. Uh, one of the execs were like, we don't invest. First of all, they only invest in rocket fuel, right? Let's this state that you know they only invest in rocket fuel but they also invest in the person you know why are they motivated what motivates them so when i took what i took away from that is all the investments you know people some of my friends may think i'm crazy but i'm not putting my money towards anything i'm not interested in that i know that i cannot I, if if it fails i know i won't allow it to fail if i have my money towards i love it that much because I, i'm more of a in terms of a scale of one to 10, in terms of risk, I'm more of a like six and a half, you know, okay. uh, but I want it to be more of a risk taker. But for me, I need to be I need to educate myself and be more knowledgeable in that in that regard. And I think your page is so helpful, man. It really is. Yeah. You know, things that I thought I knew you give more clarity on it and, and kudos for you for stepping out and actually diving in deep into it because you're not you don't manage a portfolio you know, people's portfolio, you manage, you know, business assets and, and uh, you're in charge of that in that space. So uh, it's, you're in a very unique space. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people listening and follow you. Uh, I think you're such in a unique space, man. And a lot, there's a lot of guys who have positioned themselves, uh, you know, life after football, life after off the board, you know, to, to be, to have a successful and build, have a successful career and build a legacy. Hmm. Well, let me, I, I want to highlight something you just said, because it's actually really, really important. Mm -hmm. uh, understanding your risk tolerance is, is massive, right? The fact that you know where you lie on a one to 10 risk tolerance is huge. The other thing, if you don't understand investment, you shouldn't make it. So you're actually sitting on like two <laughs> right. incredible principles. Uh, it, that's profound. I just want to highlight that. That's big. Oh, I, listen, I, when we're, when we're done here, I definitely want to keep in contact with you because I feel like I can learn a lot from you. And, it's, you know, for me, for me, I can I'll hear a pitch every day. I'll let, if my friends, if I get an email, hey, someone has a pitch, I, I don't turn anything. Down. I want to listen to it all just yeah. to get a feel for all those things we just spoke about. But I've, I've do you have any advice for me in terms of someone like, like I just made a, a big investment this past year with. I had an opportunity to invest in uh, Instacart. And it's mm. something my wife uses 
every day, all day, every day, all day. And yeah. so do I. And it was like, okay, this is a no brainer. I mean, we yeah. bought high, but it was like a great intro into, you know, kind of getting, you know, taking one, putting one foot in the water and doing, uh, and doing those different things. And I have a great team of people that manages our money. So we do well in that regard, but yeah. I've slowly, but surely wanted to, you know, take more of a risk, you know, here in DC, I don't know if it, if you've dealt with it, but they have, I don't know the proper term for it, but they haven't kicked anyone out in terms of like foreclosures. I don't on, know what that on, term is. On, on real estate? Yes, on real estate. Yeah, so that's going to be a, their eviction moratorium still in play. Yeah, the moratorium. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, I'm, there's going to be opportunities where, you know, there's going to be opportunities. And I want to yeah. be on the front end of that uh, in yeah. terms of, you know, you know, just extending that portfolio. Any, you have any advice for me in that regard? It's <sighs> a good question, actually. Um, I would say two things that I think are for you, but it's really for everyone. Uh, make sure you always have cash available for opportunity, right? So what you're talking about right. is potentially seeing an opportunity in real estate. Well, you only get to participate if you have the cash to be able to do so. So that's important. Right. Right. When it comes to real estate, my perspective has always been, is there demand for this product for 10 years? Mm -hmm. Do I have demand for this product mm -hmm. in 10 years? I'm less focused on what's happening right this moment. I want to know right. that if I put my money into this investment, I'm going to be able to get the cash flow I need in rents. And that cash flow is going to continue for the next decade. And if it is, and you invest in the right deals and you don't over leverage, then if a downturn in the economy happens, it doesn't matter. So right. I'm a really big believer in how do I make the most amount of return with, you know, lowering the largest amount of risk in it. I, I love the risk adjusted return. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's fine. I want to I want to read you a quote that I read from uh, Shit Mag magazine. You did an article with them and you were quoted. And I, I love this. It was about it was talking about the concept of money. You said it's a representation of your contribution to society. If you make somebody's life easier, more more enjoyable, you can make money. I thought that was spot on, man, because you know what? Man? I get so much shit for that, actually. That quote. Really? So much shit for yeah. Look, I I, I think the, the the feedback I well let me start with this. Let me start with the positive. Why I like it is mm -hmm. if you look at money through the lens of how can I add more value? How can I change people's lives? Uh, right. You're not focused on the money. You're you're focused on the delivery, and then the money is the outcome, right? Right. Uh, right. What people don't like about it is, you know, they'll bring up a teacher. What about a teacher? Do you think a teacher deserves to make, mm -hmm. you know, let's call it 60 grand a year when, you know, Mikey or Dequel making all this money as athletes that where's the value mm -hmm. at there? Right. And mm -hmm. I, I talk about this on, on social media a lot. I am not saying that being a teacher is not valuable. It is. It 1000% right. is. But you have to look at the amount of people that you're impacting in one year. Right. Right. How many kids do you impact in that year? Twenty five. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we have mm -hmm. someone like you. You may be making impacting millions in a year. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have right. to consider scaling it. You look at Steve Jobs man. you look at Elon like these right. dudes are impacting millions of people's lives right. in one swoop. It's like that's why the money's more there.
So if right. you are adding a lot of value to anybody who struggles with this concept, I think this is a good takeaway. If you are adding a lot of value to people's lives and you're not making a lot of money, look at how you can add more, how, how you can add that same value to more people, right? How do you get your message out on a wider right. net? You scale this thing, the money will come. Right. Oh, no doubt. I, when I saw that, I was like, man, you said it in a nutshell. I really, truly feel like that. You know, yeah. I've been teetering in this space of, you know, when I retired, a lot of people are like, well, are you going to go into coaching? Are you going to do this? You're doing that. Like, I'm very emotional um, person. And you said something earlier when we were talking about, and I think we have a similar personality. Whatever I do, if I can't put my all into it, I won't touch it. I won't touch it. Because I, I just won't touch it because I don't want to see if it fails. I want to know it fails, given everything I possibly can give to it. That's it right. doesn't make any sense to teeter around with it if I'm not doing that. You know, it's how that's I, right. you know, was able to play 11 years in National Football League. It's just the way my mate. That's the way I'm made up. Yeah, um, that's right. That's man, right. I just exactly. think it was it's, it's so it's so unique. And you're, you're, that model, in a sense, have made you successful. You know, do you do you do you actually have let me ask you this about the current state of skateboarding. Let me go yeah. back for a second. Are guys more more educated on how to take care of their finances a little bit better now that you have guys who have cracked the code in terms of finance? And has that has that community kind of opened up and say, like, you know what, guys, the more people know about the ins and outs of sponsorships and how you guys aren't generating a ton of money. Is that is it still considered taboo or is this thing kind of blowing up in front of us? Um, you're you're starting to see it change. It, it's not it's not fixed yet, but you're starting to see people mention it. Mm -hmm. And I think the big thing for me is like I'm, I, I've been out of skateboarding now six, six years. Right. And so when I talk about money, mm -hmm. I can only get it down to a certain age limit. Right. Like if I hit like a 25 right. year old, right. I'm like, boom, this is huge. But what I'm starting to see <laughs> right. is people in their 20, 21, 22 pro skateboarders then taking my content and then reposting it, right? And right. they have the right. ability to get it down to the youth that's going right. to get ahead of this thing. So kind of what I'm hopeful, it's going to be more of that like Tupac approach, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if like my message is going to be able to do all of the change, but I think I'm going to be able to impact enough people to where they go out and then they make the change or then they influence the next generation to make the change. So yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. I'll be a so part of the bigger picture. Yeah. So you, you speak about the bigger picture. Is there a union for skateboarders or everyone is pretty much, you know, uh, independent contractors? Because in my uh, business, there's a union. There's certain things that, that, that like that is a huge part of. It. And I feel like if that's something that ever, you know, comes to fruition, you could be one of those guys that can say, hey, listen, let's start a let's start a union. Let's make sure we're getting the best product and best sponsorship for our guys to protect our guys. And let's yeah. leapfrog this thing from a financial standpoint, because what is yeah. a what is an average? What is a a pro skater? What is he bringing in in terms of a calendar year in terms of finances? Is he is he cracking the six figures and the, the uh, top guys? Do they crack the six or is it like? You know, in terms of football, is it like the 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 quarterbacks making 30, 40 million dollars a year and then the last guy on the totem pole is making a million dollars? Is there a huge gap between the top guys and like the mid-level guy? Yeah, there's a big gap. Um, I would say if you average this thing out or, or let's say this, let's separate in in 90, 10, right? 
90 percent okay. of pro skateboarders make i don't know 60 70 grand a year that's most then you have a small percentage right. of that 10 percent that make call it 150 right and then okay. you have one percent of that 10 percent that are making over a million got it Got so it. like it, it. this is a good one right like uh for us with what we do we we bring on investors to invest in our real estate projects with us right mm -hmm. and as of right now we can only have accredited investors so if you're an accredited right. investor it means you make you know an income sole income of two hundred thousand dollars a year for two years if you're mm -hmm. married it's three hundred thousand or mm -hmm. you have a net worth of a million dollars right 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 there's only 13 pro skateboarders that I had the ability to talk to, to invest with us. Wow. Wow. Right? Out of, so you're talking about 13. 13 is a small number, regardless of how many guys there are. Yeah, and, at, and here's scale. another one. Out of that 13, only three qualified from net worth. The rest qualified from income. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. See, you know, yeah. you know what that reminds me of? You know what that reminds me of? Of this disparity between the NBA and the WNBA. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have you have, you know, WNBA stars. It's that one percent that don't have to go overseas to play football or play basketball and generate that yearly income. And they have a, a, a slew of other the bigger percentage of the WNBA. You know, they have to play year round. And what comes with that? You sacrifice family, you sacrifice relationships at home. You're too busy having tunnel vision to do something you absolutely love. I feel like a lot of people don't know there's a there's a skating community and then there's people like myself who never had a chance to speak to a pro skater. I've never yeah. I've never crossed paths with a pro skater to know any of the questions that I may have had because I I have my, you know, my issues with the NFL and how they've conducted business, but it doesn't even it doesn't even compare to what yeah. you've had to overcome and what some guys are dealing with currently to this day. Yeah, so the, the I hear you on that, and, and and look, is there is there, can we empower this group so that they understand their value to earn more one thousand percent? For me, what I'm thankful for is I had to figure out this this path to financial freedom, not making a lot of money, right? Like when people hear me, they're like, "Oh, you're a pro skateboarder, dude. Of course you're able to figure out how to be financially free." It's like, you know, right, we, right, we, right. we don't make enough, but but what they don't right. realize is skaters don't make that much. So to be able to accomplish this on a salary that a lot of people make, not as pro athletes, I think that's, I think that encourages people to know that it could be done. But to what you're saying, it's like, yeah, man, it's like, do, 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 do most pros not realize the impact they make or, or the power they give to a company to be able to sell product? Yeah, I would say they don't. Um, right. But right. in today's world, man, you have the ability to go straight to the source. Right. If you have an audience, right. bypass everyone right. and sell something direct right. to them. It'll change everything. Right. Right. So. I, I, yeah. I think a lot of uh, I think this younger generation and you're not much older than I am. I think this young younger generation is figuring it out. They're like right on the cusp of, you know, you look at college football, they're, they're starting to get compensated. And yeah. some of the 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 um, the following these, some of these guys, these kids have. You know, walking into leaving college, you know, if you were a pro player or, um, you know, uh, at one of these power five conferences in college football, you're walking away with hundreds of thousands of followers. Now, yes. brands are coming to you. 
you know, and so it's a different landscape, a different yeah. field these guys are, are, are dealing with. A lot different than when I, I was trying to get recruited, a lot different than how you got your start. Um, yep. It's right. just so fascinating. So uh, I heard a funny story about, uh, I was listening to one of the platforms you were on, you were talking about your royalties check. I think it was a it was a either from DC shoes or something like that. You were in a contract dispute, and it was the, I heard this yeah. th this funny story about you throwing it in the corner someplace, and you realized it was a huge check. It was a royalties yeah. check or something like that. Can you can you walk me through that story? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm I just got my first pro shoe from DBS. I had never gotten a shoe before. I had, I didn't understand that the royalties you get with a shoe are so much bigger than everything else, right? <laughs> right? And at the time, I got an offer to ride for another shoe company. And I was in this very unique window where my contract ended for DBS. I had a shoe that just dropped and it got overlooked and they didn't get my new contract signed, right? So I had a shitload of leverage <laughs> on them. And then I got an offer from another company and I'm like, yo, uh, you guys got to pay me more or I'm out of here. And they're like, you can't screw us like this. We just dropped your shoe, right? And so <laughs> we're negotiating back and forth for months, right? And I have a new contract showing up on my doorstep every three days. And it's just, I'm getting these things. I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. This is so annoying. One of them was a royalty check. I just didn't realize. It came in the same oh manila hole, right? And so I just oh throw it somewhere being a punk kid. I end up signing the deal with them. Everything's good. Four months right. goes by. I'm having like a party at my house. And someone's right. sitting on my couch and they're like, dude, you've got a bunch of crap under here. And they pull up this, you know, UPS like Come little, on. you know, packet. And they're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, dude, that's just some contract stuff. You can throw it away. And like, really? This is a contract? Let's see what, you know, they rip it open and they pull out two checks, sure. right? And they're like, yo, Mikey, these are checks. I'm like, what oh my god and they look like dude i pick them up it's like oh one was like god. a fifteen thousand dollar check the other was like a forty five thousand dollar check and i was like oh, oh my god gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yo, so that was my crazy. first case of, that's of great. That's yeah 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 and i'm yeah, that, that's insane I, I can tell you this I almost threw it away that that would have been a hell of a oh my gosh i'm glad your friend found it and he was a loyal friend not to take it and run off yeah. and spend yeah. that money that's, oh, right. that's, that's, that's right. dope man that's dope so let me let me go back to i i want to switch gears for a second because mm -hmm. anyone who knows me and when i played the game like i was a fanatic with like investing in my body like yep. i would try anything hyperbaric chambers i don't know if you ever heard of a hyperbaric chamber yeah. it, it, it's yeah I, so i had it all I had a team of people working on my body. This may be a silly question, Mikey, but when you were a pro skater for over two decades, was that even in your realm of thinking is like how to take care of your body? Or did you just like wake up, go skate, you know, you get injured, you go doctor, you go get it taken care of. Was that a thing for pro skaters? Or if, if it, it was it ever a thing for you to take care of your body in that regard? Or am yeah, I just it, like... It, no, 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 you're, you're spot on. It became a thing towards the tail end, right? Like the first 10 years, man, mm -hmm. it was like, I'm just out here skating every day. Like that was it. <laughs> right. Um, towards right. the end, you know, you know, I was in this position where I was able to have enough demand for myself still to be able to sell product. Mm -hmm. I'm super competitive. So I wanted to be better and better. And I got to the point where like, dude, your body doesn't act the same as it did when you were a kid, <laughs> right? Like you fall, right. it hurts more. 
And so for the last five years, I started working out with a trainer, which I didn't do prior, started changing the way I uh, was eating, started doing the, you know, the cryo free. Cryotherapy. Yeah. I I did it all. Um, And my whole goal was how do I outperform these freaking kids at 30 years old with two kids? Like I'm exhausted all the time. And so I started just paying more attention. And what's fascinating is my last, my last video part, uh, I, in my perspective is one of my better video parts. Uh, and I think a lot of it just came down Mm -hmm. to me paying attention and taking care of myself. So, so I saw a bit, that's great to know. I I had no idea, you know, it it makes sense now, but you, again, you grew up in a different generation. Now I feel like, you know, that's what, you know, Paul Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. He's got all this stuff in his house. He's got a cryo chamber. He's got a hyperactive. He is a freaking savage. He's just like you. He is a savage, and he's been a savage since day one. That's the crazy thing about yeah. Paul. He was ahead of the curve. That, that's that's insane. That's insane. I was so fascinated by that man because I know not. I feel like now everyone has every. If you if you want it, you can find it. You know, yeah. in terms of health and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. I had another question. I just lost my train of thought. You were saying something about. Oh crap. Health, paying you know, attention, kids being exhausted. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just so I saw a video of you, I think it was the X Games. And when I first started the research, I'm like, wait, this dude looks like a an attorney on a skateboard. You don't have no no tattoos, you know, you didn't have the long hair, you had the nice comb over. I'm like, this dude doesn't even look like a in my bit mind, I was like, this isn't what a pro skater that skates for 20 years looks like. I'm like, yeah. that was insane. Well, I, I, I just, you know, I, I look at you as, as one of those like unicorns in the sport, man, that a, a lot of people need to highlight uh, and bring attention to this. Man, I think it gets overlooked. I think it's in a small community of people. And um, I, on my platform, if I could, you know, put it out there, I will, man, because I, I enjoy it. Like literally, I think this weekend I'm going to go. There's a skate park like a quarter mile away from my house that I want to. I need to go out there when there's no one out there. You know, the little kids got to take it over. And I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to be some yeah. YouTube sensation of me breaking both my legs and arms, you know, 38-year-old yeah. not being yeah. where he's supposed to be. But yeah. uh, Go in the mornings. Go in the mornings. That's great, man. Um, you got any questions for me? Anything that you're curious about in the, in the football world, how finance kind of works? Because I know the number one thing about which – NFL players get a bad rap of finances, right? There's like mm-hmm. this this curve of, you know, within the first five years, guys go broke. And yeah. there is no, yeah. I wish I had a crystal ball to say, hey, this is why it's happening. And I think, again, we talked about a lot of parallels between our communities and just the way of thinking about uh, money. Mm-hmm. You know, in my personal experience and my personal opinion about it is, I think a lot of guys just, you know, they have financial advisors, they have agents, but they choose not to listen. You know, I remember yeah. having a conversation with a younger guy, just seeing him. He, he he was undrafted guy. He was, you know, he drove a six figure, he paid six figures for his car. He was living in the city where we were playing. And then he was happy. He had an apartment where he was from. And I remember telling him, I was like, listen, man, I was like, don't try to follow these guys over here making a million dollars. You're mm-hmm. barely making ends meet when you cut taxes and your finances mm-hmm. that you have to pay for. And I was like, hell, if you're not going to listen to your financial advisor, pay me, pay me yeah. the freaking money. 
because you're not listening either way. Yeah. You know, so um, it, it's a huge problem that, unfortunately, some of the bad apples, you know, take yeah. the bulk of the, the reputation of guys. But there's a ton of guys that in the National Football League like you that are some of mm-hmm. my friends who are doing it the right way, man. And yeah, they do it the qu- quiet, quiet under the radar. The, the question I want to ask you, because I'm one of the coolest things, honestly, when I started moving into finance world and, you know, talking about my story, the the largest group of people I started connecting with was football players, uh, aside from skateboarding, really? of course, skateboarders, but, but yeah, from a yeah. you know, career out, out, outward. Uh, and so I built up a relationship with a lot of guys. Um, and some of them are doing really cool stuff in the finance world. Brandon Copeland, I, I talked to yesterday, right? He's like yeah. big big advocate of financial literacy on, on, on his channels. So my yeah, question yeah. to you, I ask all of my friends are either, either in football or now kind of where we're at. Are you seeing the change and, and, and That's where are we question. at from a, a, you know, let's call it a one to 10 scale uh, mm-hmm. of impact we're making and how much room do we have to grow? Yeah, it, it's, Right. It, that That's a really great question. And because I've been removed for almost five years, yeah. I still keep in contact with a lot of guys who play. And now my network network of people are on the other side. Right. And yeah. I'm I, now when I wake up, I make phone calls and, and, and make emails to that community. Right. Because I want to yeah. be connected with that, because for when you're playing the game, yeah. you don't really your time is limited. And if you're a process guy like myself, when the season was over, I would take a month to travel, eat, drink, whatever I wanted, and then it was back to my routine. And I had I missed out on a ton of opportunities, Mikey, to go do internships and do this, do that. But in my mind, I couldn't compartmentalize. I was like, wait a minute. This thing is paying me an exorbitant amount of money. I don't know if I can handle doing a lot of different things yeah. at one point, but I realized as being away from the game as long as I have, that culture wants you to think that way, you know? And I think there's a, there's a small shift with through social media and different platforms of guys understanding the value they bring to the brand of football. Now on another scale, some of them are in it for different reasons. I think it falls, you, you, you play the back and forth game of of fame as opposed to building a legacy and keeping what yeah. you what you made. So there's a huge yeah. gap because you, you get a turnover of young guys. You know, I was a dinosaur when I left the game. I was 33 years old and yeah. I'm trying to talk finance or just try to direct this 22 year old's attention towards yeah. saving the money because you could be you're one injury away from being out of the freaking league. And if you don't manage it now, you're going to look back 10 years from now. It's like, damn it, I should have bought that Range Rover when I was barely you know, uh, I was moving from roster to roster, from city to city, like certain purchases is like, it's just stupid, you know? So, but I do see, I do see guys like myself who are retired, still communicating with these guys. There's guys like Rashawn Williams, who he started a company called Drive by DraftKings. There's a, it's a fund of former current players, different investors on, on, from the top level, from the bottom level, getting into the business world. There's more yeah. of those things that are co- popping up that I think in the long run, it will be better. But to say, you know, right now, currently, things are moving in the right direction. Yes, but there's still a long gap. There's still yeah. a, a big bridge to get over, man, which is yeah. unfortunate. 
Um, again, man. Yeah. I got another one. I got another one for you because I got hit with this mm-hmm. one yesterday. One of the best questions I was ever asked. And I, I, I want to ask it to you. <laughs> You're on your deathbed, right? You're on your deathbed. One day left. Yeah. And you have oh, the shit. people you care the most about in your room. Mm-hmm. And you can't give them anything physical. No money, mm-hmm. nothing. I like only, you only can tell them something. What do you what do you leave them with? I can only tell them something. Yeah. Isn't that a good question? That's a great question. That's a great that's a great question. And I think for me I would tell all the people if I'm on my deathbed, all the people that I care about and love, I would tell them the feeling that you have right now towards me of of love and the love that's in this room right now, I would say to share it with everyone and your life would be a lot easier. You know, I, I really, I really, truly believe, you know, just being good to everyone, you know, the, 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 it brings me joy. I think it's good for the soul. Uh, like right now, I have a, the community of friends that I hang out with. They have little boys and little children and they're extremely blessed. Right. Yeah. And so we're in that weird age where from age three to six, I want them to understand just how good they're living. So we're doing something. We're adopting a family for Christmas. And I want them to 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 really to really get in the habit of giving as opposed to receiving. And so, and I would say that, you know, give more than you receive and you'll get a lot more in return, you know? And that's a really great question, man. And I think it it falls in business and life and everything that, you know, when we wake up in the morning, hell, you know, your your attitude, your positive attitude drives how that day is going to unfold, man. That's Um, It's funny, I have a book behind me it, it called it's the name of it is it's called it takes what it takes mm. and it's a friend of mine uh he ended up he just passed away unfortunately about a month or two ago he's a mental conditioning coach and uh-huh. i was at a part of my career i was in a funk mikey like i was i was spending money that i didn't have uh i had been injured two years on injured reserve i didn't think i was ever going to play again and i made a deal with myself whatever i had done up until that point I couldn't repeat it. So this guy, Trevor, who wrote this book, is forwarded by Russell Wilson. He sat me in his office and he we actually made a, what do you call it? Uh, we were on the chalkboard and he asked me what the hell I wanted out of life. We wrote everything mm-hmm. down and we made a, a, we laminated it. I put it on my, my, my mirror, I put it on my dashboard. Every time I woke up, I would see this, this thing, all the things I needed to do in order to, at the time I wanted to sign a big contract. Yeah. And so we mapped out every day, every moment, just when I would, and this was before I was married, when I would see women, when I would drink, when I, we mapped every freaking detail out. And at that moment, I realized it's like, man, your mental space, as much as we are gifted physically, what yeah. separates average from great and great from elite is up here, man, everything above the shoulders. So that for me has been a huge driving factor in my life. And uh, Mikey, I appreciate you spending this time, man. Uh, I know you're a busy man. Uh, I appreciate your your time and your energy and your perspective. I'm going to continue to follow you. If you haven't followed this man, go to IG at Mikey Taylor. He's got great content about finances and kind of brings you into how his day to day, you know, how he thinks from a financial standpoint. I think it's great for it, it crosses over to sports, to if you're not in sports, and it's just 
an even better story to tell because you were you were so elite at what you did on the skateboard and now you're just as elite if not more successful off the board so i appreciate your time and perspective mikey i really i'm i appreciate I equally appreciated to be here hey man thank you brother thank you for joining me.